The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Smith Micro Software, makers of Stuff It Deluxe, designed to move files simply and securely wherever customers want them to go, for Mac and PC, online at stuffit.com. And Ask Metafilter, thousands of life's little questions answered, online at ask.metafilter.com. I'm Colin from Louisville. Hey, I'm Laurel from London, UK. I'm Patrick from Chicago. The Sound of Young America is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, it's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. There are few writers as funny or as unique as Jonathan Ames. His books are trips deep into his own mind, a web full of odd sexual hang-ups and uh, amazing jokes and uh, literary illusions and all kinds of amazing stuff. He's turned that mind to television recently with Bored to Death on HBO. The show stars Jason Schwartzman as a detective named Jonathan Ames. The fictional Jonathan Ames' closest friends are a magazine editor played by Ted Danson and a comic book artist played by Zach Galifianakis. Here's a clip from the second season. Ted Danson's character, a magazine editor, has moved out of his house and into a hotel because of bedbugs, and Jonathan Ames, played by Jason Schwartzman, has come to visit him. The previous night, Danson's character caught Schwartzman hiding in Danson's closet while Danson perpetrated an affair. I can't believe you were in the closet. I can't believe I had to listen to you make love for ten minutes. It was longer than ten minutes. So how was I last night in bed? Do I still got it? I don't know, George. I never saw you have sex before. Sure, sure. But Priscilla, she's beautiful, isn't she? Yeah, of course. She's lovely, but what was all that Nosferatu business? Oh, well... We like to do vampire role play. It's always been our thing. God, is everyone into vampires? Yeah, it seems that way. Oh, what's that? Uh, two poached eggs and an avocado. You know, avocado is the fish of vegetables, a lot of omega-3. Oh, I want that. Can, can we switch? This looks like very, very nice oatmeal. Jonathan Ames, welcome to The Sound of Young America. Thank you for having me. The character uh, that Jason Schwartzman plays, who is also named Jonathan Ames, is uh, a novelist who falls into this life of private investigating because he's having a hard time generating a second novel. Um, and I wonder if that was your experience after your first novel came out in, in, in what, 1989? Um, no, I didn't fall into being a private detective. Um, <laughs> Not that part. <laughs> um, I certainly struggled to write a second novel. I, I you felt, were a real detective for the police department, right? right? Yeah, and the FBI and the CIA—they all wanted me. I wish. No, I would like to be a Get hero. Get me Ames. <laughs> yeah, my dad was a um, an auxiliary policeman, so my perhaps my fascination with authority began when I would see him directing traffic, you know, football games in our small town. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I very much struggled to write a second novel. There was nine years between my first and second book. I, you know, 
it was one of the first times I lost my mind. I, I mean, I was young, 25. I'd probably lost it before then. But it, it was a difficult nine years. I, I drove a taxi. That was one of my more primary jobs, not private detecting. So I guess, yeah, I was drawing upon that experience, the pressure of having to produce a second novel. Not that anyone really cares, but in one's own small life, people were always asking me, so you're working on your book. When's the second book coming out? And I, and I felt at the time that when you had other professions, like a dentist, they weren't like, so how many patients did you have today? How many patients are you having tomorrow? You know what I mean? It was this constant quizzing about your future, and, and it only made things worse. But eventually I did write a second novel um, called The Extra Man, but it was m- many years of struggle. You've written several novels and uh, numerous sort of uh, autobiographical essay collections. Um, what was the first time that someone contacted you and said, you know, we should, you should be working on Hollywood-type stuff, television shows and screenplays? Um, <clears throat> well, maybe the first step might have been when my novel The Extra Man came out in '98. There was film interest in it, but not where not where I was to be involved. Just people wanted the um, the book itself. But then in two thousand and two, um, my book, my less than secret life, came out a collection of essays, and I kind of put myself on my own little self paid book tour, and I came out here to L.A. and read at Skylight Books. And a young fellow in the audience, uh, a young hungry producer, heard me read and said, "You know, you should." you should turn your essays into a TV show. And so he and I started speaking and emailing for about a year. And then finally in 2003, I came out here and pitched to Showtime a TV show based on my essay collection, What's Not to Love. And Showtime greenlit me writing a pilot and playing myself. So this was 2003, 2004. I think we shot it in 2004. I played myself, very low budget, quick five-day shoot. I think it, it turned out all right, but... Showtime didn't greenlight it to go any further. And I, I think it played once late at night during the writer's strike when they needed to put something on the air. Um, and and so then after that, I kind of gave up on Hollywood. And the general feeling I was getting from Hollywood was that I was probably too strange and too odd. And so I um, I mostly was just planning on surviving by teaching and writing. What, what made you give up on it? Was it just the fact that this, that this effort had failed or been only moderately successful, or was it something about the experience? Um, I, 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 I don't know. It seemed like maybe the door shut. I sort of gave up. I mean, occasionally I would come to L.A., my sister lives out here, and I would be sent on meetings, you know, and I would drive all around California in whatever little rental car I had, and I'd be like, these meetings are very good because a lot of the people I met were book lovers. So it seemed like all I would do, I would go to a studio, I would go to a production company, and I would talk about books with very bright, educated people in the film industry or TV industry. And and then nothing would come of these meetings. And I would call and say, Did, how'd that meeting go? Oh, they loved you, but nothing ever happened. So I eventually said I, I stopped going on meetings. I mean, it was, I mean, it was sort of fun and one of the people I met turned me on to a good series of books. I'm trying to remember what writer. Maybe it was Alan First. Um, oh, uh, yeah, I think it was Alan First. But you know, <laughs> I got a good book tip, you know. Some, one Hollywood guy once said to me, a writer, he said, you know, uh, a million meetings, no deals. You know, you, I, But I think it's for the agents and the assistants and these people to fill up their calendar because then it seems like something's happening. 
Well, I, I sometimes get the impression that um, people in this Hollywood world w- want to meet with you, have some kind of interaction with you, um, just in case someone else does something with you uh, or you happen to do something that has a big impact so they can be like, oh, sure, I know that guy. I got his number right here. Something like that. Or maybe if you happen to walk in and a script falls on their desks that day that maybe you could, you know, help with. I don't know. But I guess it's a lot of it's a lot of fishing. You know what I mean? People are just fishing for an idea or somebody or something. And eventually one of these meetings, one of these fishing expeditions did lead to bored to death. How, how did that how did that happen? What What was the difference, do you think? Well, the difference was, this was sort of interesting. I hadn't been on a meeting, in, I'd gone to a meeting in a year or more, you know. I, I think they all, everyone realized, we're sending this guy on meetings, it's basically becoming a book club discussion right. wherever he goes. And, and I wasn't... You're more of a roving instructor. <laughs> you know. So anyway, in 2007, suddenly I get an email or a phone call, uh, someone in New York at HBO wants to meet you. And I'm like, New York? A meeting? What? Usually this only happened in California with a rental car. So I went to this meeting with someone, a producer at HBO. And so I met with her and we were chatting. And she said, have you written anything lately that you think might be good for TV? And a few months before, I had read, written uh, the short story, Bored to Death, uh, which was my first attempt at kind of a thriller, and I'd been reading a lot of David Goodis. And so I said to Sarah, I said, I think this could make a great little noir film or a TV show, you know, because I knew it was a TV <laughs> beating. I quickly caught myself. And she said, I'd like to read it. And I described to her the premise. She read it. I emailed it to her that night. And right away, she wanted to work with me on developing it as a show to pitch to HBO. And she said, can you come up with some friends for the character? Because in the story, it's just Jonathan Ames, sort of based on me, early 40s, you know, struggling. um, One night on a whim, puts an ad on Craigslist advertising himself as a private detective. Because I had always wanted to do that and had thought of doing that. Because I I do love Raymond Chandler, and I reread him every few years, like someone studying the Talmud or something. I go through it again. But... Um, and so I developed some friends for the character and, and then in September, 2007, I went with her to HBO and pitched it and, um, and they went for it immediately. But then the writer's strike happened for six or seven months or something. And so I didn't write it until I'm very big on dates and chronology. My mind works in a linear fashion. I can't remember anything. And yet if I put a timeline out in my brain, I can see things. So then in April 2008, I wrote the script. and It's useful for people who are at home taking notes. Yeah, I don't know. I feel, ter- I feel like I'm boring everyone out there. I apologize. The word boring backwards is Rob, if that's at all pleasurable. <laughs> and Jesse Thorne is Narachta Essage. And uh, Chair is Riach. And uh, Water is Rita. I'm just looking around me. Microphone is Inachba Orkim. Okay, now I'll... Ch- that's it. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'll try to be less boring from here on out. I had a friend who used to do that in uh, when we were in middle school on the bus. Bus, uh, uh, middle whole, school, Luke's, Elderdim. Oh, he would do sentences. Can you do sentences? I can do sentences. I can do uh, individual words, probably up to four to five syllables. And after that, my IQ stops in much, <laughs> in, in much the same way that I can't go beyond Tuesday in the New York Times crossword puzzle. Maybe I can get a third of it done on Wednesday. <laughs> I'm limited. 
We, and Daddy Mill is limited backwards. Um, when you were writing the pilot of um, of Bored to Death and and the show that you developed for Showtime, um, what skills did you have to develop um, in order to write for this form rather than writing prose? Well, the first skill was to get Final Draft on my computer. Um, <laughs> Which we, is the software that you have to write scripts in. Yes, and and I'm very computer-phobic. Any type of technology, if my hands go near it, I have some kind of anti-magnetic force. Um, but So that was a challenge, but I got Final Draft, and I read a few scripts um, and quickly picked up on, or not quickly, but got an idea of, what you needed to do in scripts, which was, as opposed to prose, uh, scene descriptions, which I appreciated, should be short and like police blotter writing, which I like. I've always enjoyed reading police blotters. I used to sell newspapers over the phone. That was another job I had during my failed, um, after my first novel came out and I struggled to write a second. I did, you know, phone sales of a local newspaper. Uh, and I would always tell people, you know, cold calling. I say, and we have a great police blotter. This was for a, you know, a, a New Jersey sort of weekly free newspaper, or maybe somehow. But how, if it was free, why was I selling it over the phone? Maybe it was subscription. Anyway, um, but it was a weekly, and and so it's police blotter writing for scene description. Don't have anybody talk too long, you know, and don't have scenes be too long. So I quickly got the basic shape of scripts, like the shape of a, you know, a poem of a sonnet or something. And then from that, I just filled in, you know, wrote the dialogue. When you were writing it, did you already have uh, Jason Schwartzman in mind to play the character that's named Jonathan Ames? I did, um, because during the writer's strike, when I was not working on it, I met Jason because um, at some point I had written a script based on my novel, Wake Up, Sir. Um, and, And then I saw Jason in this short film, Hotel Chevalier, and it turned out he had read the book and someone had told him he should play this character. So I was out in L.A. and Jason and I met about Wake Up, Sir, which has yet to happen and maybe will happen someday. And then I mentioned to him that I had this other thing I was doing called Bored to Death for HBO. I hadn't started writing it yet. And it was about a writer who becomes a private detective. And Jason had always wanted to play a private detective because he loves the Truffaut film um, Stolen Kisses. So Jason was like, oh, my God, that sounds amazing. And I knew from my experience at Showtime that I shouldn't play myself. You know, I wasn't very good at it. And <laughs> um, and I, maybe I wanted to succeed this time. So I, I was like, you know what? He would be perfect for this. He's perfect for Wake Up, Sir, and he's perfect for this. And so once the script was written and HBO liked it, I began to advocate strongly to have Jason play Jonathan Ames. I don't, wouldn't say play me because it's just the name. He's not playing me, per se. Um, and so, yeah, before I even wrote it, I had him in mind. When you when you saw him uh, performing the role for the first time, um, how did it affect how you thought about the character? Um, yeah, well, that's a good question. I think what I, the character, I, I see the Jonathan character. I kind of, in my mind, take the three characters... You know, uh, Jonathan, George, and Ray, Jonathan, Jason Schwartzman, George, Ted Danson, Ray, Zach Galifianakis, and I kind of assign them in my own mind. I don't mean to be pretentious because this is all very frivolous and ephemeral, but sort of uh, mythic qualities. And so what I picked up from Jason's spirit is that he's 
he's like a young quester. There's something very innocent about him. And he's very curious. And he has an open heart and an open mind, you know. So I think... Um, and yet he also has an old soul. If you listen to his songs and the lyrics of his songs, you know, he's, he's, he, he's a very fascinating young man. And so having met him, getting to know him, I think I, I, I assign the quality of the, of the knight in training, you know, to, to the Jonathan character. Um, and so that aspect of Jason's character informed how I would write for him. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by VG Kids, printers of T-shirts and other merchandise for touring bands, radio stations, websites, festivals, derby girls, record labels, national brands, and all the rabble-rousers, hackers, and entrepreneurs in between. Online at VGKids.com. The Sound of Young America is returning to WNYC and the Jerome L. Green Performance Space on October 22, 2010. Join us for a night of comedy, music, and interviews at the beautiful new performance studio at WNYC. Find out more information about the lineup and ticket information as it becomes available online at MaximumFun.org. Laugh Night is back. If you're in Southern California, join us for The Sound of Young America presents Laugh Night at ArtShare Los Angeles. Our second Laugh Night features stand-up comedy from a variety of comics recording their sets for The Sound of Young America, and the lineup includes comedy greats like Dana Gould and Maria Bamford, among others. Our second Laugh Night is Thursday, September 30th at Art Chair in downtown Los Angeles. You can find out more information and buy tickets online at MaximumFun.org. Do you live in Denver, Colorado, or in Vyron's? Well, I've got good news for you. We're having a Max Fun meetup. Teresa and I are going to be in town for the Public Radio Program Directors Conference. And so we're having a meetup on Thursday, September 23rd from 5.30 to 7 p.m. at Sweet Action Ice Cream. You can meet us and meet other Max Funsters from the Denver area. And, uh, you know, I think it'll be a nice time. We'll have some ice cream. From what I understand, these people have uh, Sound of Young America and Jordan Jesse Go bumper stickers on their cash register. So they're true blue fans. Again, if you're in Denver, join us at Sweet Action Ice Cream from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on Thursday, September 23rd. Thursday, September 23rd, 5.30 to 7 for the Max Fun Meetup. I hope I'll see you there. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the writer Jonathan Ames. His latest project is a television show for HBO called Bored to Death. The second season starts Sunday, September 26th. In this clip from the show, Zach Galifianakis as a comic book writer and Ted Danson as a magazine editor are getting stoned in Danson's car. I don't understand. It was a cartoon about your sperm? Yeah. I've been giving my sperm to these two lesbians. They're fans of mine. You know, they want to have a kid. You're helping lesbians have a baby. My girlfriend, she doesn't want any more kids. And I thought, well, this is my chance. And, you know, I can also help this couple. That's beautiful. I have a daughter. Oh, yeah? You guys close? She lives in Seattle. We love each other, but we're... We don't really know each other. Oh, my God. I have completely failed at the most important thing in life. 
I'm gonna call her right now and tell her I love her. No, 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 no. You don't you don't wanna hide that with your daughter. Nah, I'm not that high, I really. Think you are. I'll use the voice changer. That way she won't be able to tell I'm stoned. No, no, here's so Hey, uh, honey, I just called to tell you that I love you. This is your father. I'm a robot. That's stone thinking. You're gonna scare the out of her. You're right. Hey, should I send her a text message? So Ted Danson's character is a magazine publisher. He's sort of a, a mentor and benefactor to Jason Schwartzman's character. And he seems so, like, deeply embedded in his world of, of magazine publishing. Like, there's a wonderful scene where it's suggested that he might have to give up having lunch at the Four Seasons, and it's the most unfathomable thing in the world to him, and not in a fit of arrogance, but in a fit of him sincerely not understanding how that might be possible. Right, because that, that's where he had had lunch with Saul Bellow and Jackie <laughs> yeah. O and... Yeah, well, one of the themes I, I tried to convey in this second season, though, is that the world of magazines and books and print is sort of crumbling around George, you know. Um, and in later episodes, I don't want to give anything away, this becomes more apparent. And so I was trying to work out my own feelings of that the the world that I aspired to, the world of books and magazines, is radically changing and you know within my lifetime like in my father's lifetime i think the the radio came into being and refrigerators and you know then ultimately television and you know airplane travel and so on a not quite equivalent level the world that i was prepared to spend my life in is changing i mean i'm sitting in your office and i'm looking at books but you know this is things are really changing i can't prognosticate how exactly but so what I tried to show in this season is it sort of crumbling around George and how he reacts to it. He seems like his um, he brings the confidence that he's developed over many years of mastery of this form of being a scion of this literary magazine world to everything else just completely without merit. He's, he, there's an episode early in the second season that I saw in which he he leads a sort of paramilitary operation <laughs> with absolute confidence based on his time in the Connecticut National Guard <laughs> 30 years previous, as presumably as a, as a Vietnam dodger. Yeah. Ted is just amazing to work with. I mean, he is so funny. I just sit there at the monitor and laugh. I mean, I laugh at all three guys. I, I, don't, I don't know. I really have been very lucky that I was given this incredible cast. I mean, a cast of three... It's such a trinity, you know, and so many great comedy troops have had three or more, but these three guys are really a, make for a very beautiful kind of triangle. It's a very masculine world. It really revolves around these three guys, and um, in in most shows that are so that are so focused on masculine characters, women feel like they're being objectified or just made into sort of sexual objects. And they don't feel like that at all in this show, but it remains a very masculine world. Was that a, was that a choice or was that something that just happened? Um, well, I guess by having the three characters be men, it it obviously becomes a very male show. And, um, and obviously there's women, but it, 
in the show, the women are responding to the men. Um, the men are, are in, in a sense, dictating the action. But I, I tried to, and I tried to make the women characters alive and vibrant and vital, but in, in much the same way that Sex in the City was about four women and men are sort of hovering around them like, you know, smaller planets. Um, that's very much the case with this show. But I, I, I hope women won't feel excluded. I, I think hopefully women will identify with, look at these three nuts. I, I've gone out with guys like that. And then, they, and then they can identify with the women struggling to deal with these nuts. And hopefully they can identify that the men have very fey feminine <laughs> spirits too. You know, they're not, um, they're not macho. They're, it is, this they're is sensitive. an entourage in other words. Um, I guess not. No, I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I've watched. I heard, I heard that HBO bought you a TV so that you could watch TV. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't have a TV. Um, I had a TV. It wasn't hooked up to anything. Uh, I couldn't afford cable. And so my whole adulthood, I haven't really watched TV. I haven't really watched TV since I was a kid. When I would go home to my parents, I would often stay up late at night channel surfing uncontrollably. And it'd be like 3, 4 a.m. I'd be like, stop, stop, go to bed, because I would have to deal with my family the next day and didn't want to be exhausted. But that was the extent of my TV watching over the last 20 years. But then my show came out, and I, I did have more money now, but I still... I, you know, I was in ruts. I, I didn't know how to get cable. I didn't know how to do anything. I didn't know how to hook up the TV I did have, which you could play movies on. But I didn't even like to do that. At night, I like to read or be out amongst people. So I don't really watch movies at night. I like to go to a movie theater. But anyway, so I, I was starting to do Twitter to promote the show. And I didn't really know how Twitter worked. I thought, everyone's just twitting, you know, into the ether <laughs> And there's no response. This is such a... I mean, all these things are, you know, cry for attention. Look at me. Pay attention to me. Whatever we're doing in these social networks. But, And I wrote on Twitter going, I don't really understand Twitter. There's no communication. And I didn't realize that people could respond, that if I clicked on this one thing <laughs> that said, at Jonathan Ames, I, I'd been Twittering for months. And, and I just didn't know how it worked. And so some, somebody then emailed me because I read my tweet. <laughs> Because um, you can get an email through my website, and they said there's a thing called at Jonathan Ames. My Twitter thing, I think, is Jonathan Ames. Click on that, and I saw, oh my god, people have been responding for months. I had no idea. <laughs> so this was a Sunday, and every Sunday it was the third or fourth Sunday that my show was on the air. I would contact a friend and say, could I come over and watch my show? And this particular Sunday, three people canceled on me to watch my own show. And I think it was around eight thirty, nine o'clock at night. My show, I think, came on at 9.30. I forget. But at the last moment, I, said, I had just gained consciousness, like Hal in 2001. Uh-huh. Oh, so if I tweet something, people could respond. So I tweet, is there anybody in the downtown Brooklyn watching Bored to Death? And could I come over? I'll bring you a bottle of wine. Someone had given me, a, HBO, I think, gave me a gift of a bottle of wine and it arrived at my house. So some bunch of people started twittering back, you can come over, and, <laughs> and a lot of people in my area. So I got uh, one of my associate producers who works with me, a very sweet woman named Liz Clank. I said, Liz, I'm, I'm going over to these two guys' house to watch 
the show, can you come with me? You know, in case I, I don't know what might happen. I could, I be, like, t- I could I, be tickled madly or I something. I like how you, you involved, just in case of danger, you involved a friendly lady associate television producer. I know, I know. She, not, but I thought it'd be harder to kidnap. T- I, I, I like going into dangerous situations, but I thought maybe <laughs> so that these people wouldn't be scared, actually. It might be better to bring a woman, too. It was going both ways. So I go there. You're, ter- you're a terrifying man. I mean, you're in my home right now, and I'm... I'm shaking like a twig. Well, I, I thought... Like, it, but twigs m- don't shake. Let me change that. Shaking like a leaf. Like a leaf at the end of a twig. <laughs> um, so Liz and I went to the this very these two guys. They were roommates. Um, I don't think they were boyfriends, but I, I think they were just roommates. And anyway, they didn't want the bottle of wine, but we watched the show together, and we had a great time. And Hodgman picked up on my Twitter, and he, I think he tweeted... Jonathan Ames is in a stranger's house. Uh-oh, no communication from him because I don't really know how to twit from a phone. So anyway, I then Liz and I then stopped by at a local restaurant, and we brought the bottle of wine to the owner of the restaurant. He goes, oh, my God, this is a really expensive bottle of wine. I, was, I think it was like a $200 bottle of wine, which I then gave to the owner and a bunch of the people at his restaurant, the waiters, you know, drank from it and Liz and... And uh, so that was a wonderful experience. And anyway, HBO got wind of this. I didn't also fully realize if you twit something, it could be picked up and, you know, <laughs> and I didn't, just didn't grasp. I just was a little bit slow on the technology. And so HBO got wind of it and gave me a TV. <laughs> and, uh, and then someone helped me hook it up to cable. I don't know how to DVR things or um, TiVo but I can watch things. So I've, I've now I've watched Entourage, which I enjoy. I, I actually primarily watch HBO shows. I watch True Blood, which I enjoy. I don't watch anything at the time it's broadcast. I, I don't. I think I resist scheduling um, <laughs> myself. But what's great about HBO is they show the show many times during the week. So if I randomly put on True Blood at eleven twenty on a Tuesday night and miss the first twenty minutes, I can then watch the next twenty forty minutes. <laughs> On Thursday night or something, it works out nicely. Maybe you should Twitter somebody to come over and set your DVR to record your show and your other favorite shows. Well, someone has offered that, some technological group in Brooklyn, and they also want to give me a website. But I, 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 I struggle, like many people, with making plans and commitment. And so these people haven't come over because there's something to do with my computer because I get the Internet through my computer <laughs> and my phone line and the TV. I don't know. There's all these things involved. And, and uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm good for the moment. I, I don't know how to operate the DVD player, which is frustrating. Anyway, this is, I don't, I, I feel like I'm bragging about my technological <laughs> problems, but I, I, it is a problem though. I, I feel, I feel like I also struggle with bicycle locks. I'm, I have, I have, I have learning problems. I do, and and it it makes my day longer and odder. Well, I'm 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 just glad that you managed to wrap your head around Final Draft Pro. I know, so you could work in the television industry. Yeah, well, I was glad. It's it's you know the script thing shows right up, and I don't do anything fancy like fade out, or I just do interior exterior, <laughs> um, and you know that's and I, the characters, I, I keep names, it simple. The various characters, yeah. Names. Jonathan, thank you so much for taking all this time to be on the Sandy Young America. Jonathan Ames is uh, an acclaimed novelist and essayist. Uh, His television show, Bored to Death, returns to HBO on September 26th. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I've been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. 
The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our music is provided by Dan Wally. Our associate producer is Julia Smith. Production director is Nick White. And our intern is Christian Natividad. Christian's on his way out, so thank you so much for all of your hard work, Christian. And good luck in graduate school. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, and you can email me at jesse at MaximumFun.org, J-E-S-S-E at MaximumFun.org. You're just not allowed to correct my grammar. We'll see you next time, right here on The Sound of Young America. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. The Sound of Young America is looking for a fall intern. You have to be in the Los Angeles area and be willing to commit to 15 to 20 hours a week here at the Max Fun office. You'll learn all kinds of cool stuff. You can find more information, including information about how to apply, at MaximumFun.org slash internships. MaximumFun.org slash internships. Apply as soon as possible.